morning, good morning. Hello, hello, hello. Hope you all are well. Uh, if you have not uh, brought your little person down to the uh, Terra Kids area, all our classes are open this morning, and so you can do that now. Um, for those of you who are new or visiting with us, a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you are here at Terra Nova with us. We aim to be Christocentric here at Terra Nova, and that means we aim to make everything all about Jesus and all the things that we do and say, we aim to make them all about him. And so uh, if we're reading the New Testament or the Old Testament or the Psalms, um, we aim to see in all things that scripture reveals who Jesus is through all things. And so um, we find that in the book of Ruth that we are journeying through um, right now, and we are up to chapter 3. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, we will be referring to uh, different parts of the passage throughout this message. So you just leave it right open on your laps. Um, I don't have the page number in the blue pew Bibles in front of you, but we'll be using the same translation if you want to find Ruth um, early in the Old Testament. Um, some of you got my email this week, and so you're probably wondering what, uh, what this sermon is going to be all about. It's going to be about love, and it's going to be about passion. And that's really only one facet of the sermon. There's lots of different pieces. I'm going to try to unpack a lot of different things for you this morning. Um, but just so you know, I will be, uh, for those of you who didn't receive the email, I am, I am going to be using uh, language at different times throughout the sermon that might be confusing, or your kids might ask you, hey, what does that mean? Uh, later at the dinner table. So just wanted to throw that out there. If you are uncomfortable um, with, with those words or with a sexual topic, an emphasis for part of this uh, sermon, just there's your warning up in front. Um, but there's really nothing that I'm going to say that I would feel uncomfortable um, having my kids here. So if that helps any of you, you may be wondering, Matt, what do you talk to your kids about? But um, we've definitely had the talk if, if, if you want to, you know, be specific. So anyway, so I digress. Um, let's kind of reset here. Um, <laughs> last week, uh, we opened up Ruth and we looked at the end of chapter 2. And we saw love as three things. Love demonstrated in three ways. We saw that love is generous through the person of Boaz. We saw that love is obedient through the person of Ruth. And we see that love satisfies through the person of Naomi. And we see that fourth hidden character in our text, Jesus, who is the who is the uh, redeemer, who is the one that redeems us and perfectly exemplifies all of those demonstrations of love. And just let's remember once again that this text is about Jesus, and without him it's just another really nice story. So there's tension today in this text. We're going uh, to see a plan by the person of Naomi. Naomi sets up this beautiful plan. But also, if we see the book of Ruth from beginning to end, we see that there's this, there's this large meta plan that God is creating for the characters in this book. We see this plan, this premeditated and perfect plan, but we see the characters of the story being intentional participants in his plan. So there's tension here, right? We believe as reformed uh, theologians believe that, and we believe that here at Terra Nova, that God is sovereign, that his plan is perfect, and he, there's nothing out of his purview, there's nothing out of his sight, there's nothing that he does not know about or is not engaged with. However, we have free will, and actually God calls us to be participants in our day-to-day -day plan as we chase after Jesus together. So there's tension here. 
So we can either engage with God in his plan, or the opposite would be we could just kind of wait around and say, well, God is sovereign. I don't need to talk to anybody about Christ. I don't need to make these decisions. It's just going to come to me. I'm going to open up my email, and God's going to tell me what to do. I'm just going to be sit back and not really do anything. Right? So that's kind of the opposite of what we're looking at today. So a humorous little story that I learned, gosh, when I was in middle school about kind of God's sovereignty is this. Now, this is not a theological treatise on God's sovereignty. This is just kind of a helpful story. And some of you may have heard it, okay? So, so there's the guy, and he's in, a, he's in a, a rainy place, and there's a hurricane, and, and the hurricane comes, and the waters rise, and he goes to the roof of his, roof of his house because his whole entire house is filled up with water. Um, and he's praying, God save me, God save me, God save me. I trust that you'll save me. So a little bit uh, goes by, and a canoeer comes by in a canoe. And he's like, hey, hop in. You're, it looks like you're in trouble. He's like, it's okay. God's got this. He's going to save me. I'm good. So a little bit later, a pontoon, dri- a pontoon boat drives by because the water's getting really, really deep. And there's a bunch of people on it. They're saying, come on, grab your stuff. Let's go. Let's, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. We're going to bring you to the shelter at higher ground. He says, nope, God's got this. He's going to save me. And then finally, the helicopter comes, lets down the ladder, and is like, hey, get out of your house. I'm coming to save you. He's like, nope, God's going to save me. So the guy drowns, and he goes to heaven, and he says, God, I got a question. Like, I, I'm faithful. I trust in you. I asked you for help, and you didn't help me. He goes, well, I sent you a canoe. I sent you a pontoon boat, and I sent you a helicopter, right? So this humorous story is we don't need to just sit back and wait for God to move us like a puppet. Is actually he has intention for us to move forward with our lives within his plan, okay? So our big idea this morning is this. It'll be on the next slide. Our big idea is going to be this, that when we trust in the sovereign plan of God, we will find that we have the freedom to live out his plan as an active participant. So when we trust in the sovereign plan of God, we will find that we actually have the freedom to live out his plan as an active participant. Now, let's not forget that this book, Ruth, is a case study in love, and that says it on our posters and all of our graphics here. And so we'll see this morning that inside this big idea that love is intentional, Love is intentional. And so we're going to see that theme throughout today's message. And we're going to see the theme of God's sovereignty, but also our action within that sovereignty throughout this message. So um, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, give us soft hearts to know what you want to say to us this morning. I pray that you would help us learn more about you. I pray that you would um, help us see the areas uh, where we might need to be corrected. Um, Help us to see you more beautifully proclaimed uh, through your scriptures and help us to live more like Jesus today together. Help us to learn together and to ask good questions and to know that when we don't know the answer, you are the answer for us. So we we ask all these things in your name and we pray uh, for your protection now. Amen. Okay, so uh, usually we would stand for the reading of God's word, but we're going to read three different parts and so I don't want you to get too much exercise during this. I want you to focus. So this is the word of God. This is the Holy Spirit-inspired perfect word of God, and so just let's have reverence as we read it and speak and um, speak it and understand it today. So, Ruth uh, chapter 3, 1 through 5. It's on the screen, or you can read with me in your Bibles. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? 
See, he is, at the winnow he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. All right, so in these first five verses, we see Naomi's plan. Now you may be wondering, but isn't this God's plan? Yes. So is it okay that Naomi has a plan? Yes. Some might say that Naomi was this kind of meddling, um, uh, controlling mother-in-law, but I don't see that at all. I see that if we look back in the, in the whole story, we'll look back and we'll see what Naomi has been through. We'll look and see that Naomi is not, uh, is not controlling, but she's being intentional. Her love for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, an understanding of God's plan that's kind of becoming revealed as the days play out are very clear. In chapter 2 and verse 20, when Ruth brings home the grain and, and shares about uh, Boaz's favor with her, she says this, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So we see that the, this plan, as we talked about last week, this plan is coming together for Naomi, and she sees the hand of God in all of it. She doesn't just see it for the living people in the story, but also the redemption for the names and the history of her, her late husband and the late husbands of her daughters-in-law. Now remember, this is the same Naomi that back in chapter 1 said, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? This is the same Naomi. So we see this huge shift in her heart, in her trust of God, in her understanding of his plan. Now we spoke, like I said, as I just mentioned, we spoke last week about kind of seeing the pieces of the story come, come together. And this causes Naomi to get off her seat and, and to be intentional with her choices and her guidance for her daughter-in-law moving forward. She doesn't say, oh, God's got it, this is great, and sit back and, and wait. She actually gets up and she's intentional with her choices and her actions because she trusts God. Now, but who else does she trust in this story? She trusts Boaz, right? He's already shown himself to be a protector. He's already shown himself to be trustworthy. And in the story today, she's actually having Ruth go into a very questionable and potentially dangerous situation. Why? Is it because she's careless? No, it's because she trusts Boaz. She sees the hand of God, and she trusts God. So remember our big idea this morning. When we trust in the sovereign plan of God, we will find that we have the freedom to live out his plan as an active participant in it. So Naomi is certainly finding herself as an active participant in this beautiful plan that she sees God orchestrating. Okay, so Naomi's plan, what happens? This is the section of the text where the author of Ruth is trying to get us to feel some tension. There is 
love in the air, so to speak. And the author uses very specific language that gets us to the edge of our seats. And there is, whenever we are um, looking at texts that were not written for Western people in English, there's some stuff that gets lost and some really important details about the words that are being used in the ancient Hebrew and how they're translated into our Bible today. So hopefully with a little unpacking, we're going to understand kind of the literary genius of this book. It's all quite exciting, and I had, I just had a lot of um, fun, yeah, fun, but it was really eye-opening to see the beauty of, um, of the poetry and of the language in this book. All right, so there's euphemisms, there's double meanings, there's all sorts of things that causes tension for us, the readers. So, here we go. So verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. All right, so Ruth goes into the night, smelling good, looking good, preparing herself to be noticed, right? Intentionally. There was intention here. She wanted to be noticed. Her mother-in-law wanted her to be noticed. And the goal here, and as far as Naomi is concerned, the goal here is to put Ruth perfectly in the way of Boaz so that he would see her and notice her and they would be able to have a discussion on the threshing floor. Now, Naomi's heart is for Ruth. She loves Ruth. As she says in verse 1 of this chapter, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So she arranges this secret meeting and she trusts in the end that there will be blessing for Ruth and her family, not based on Boaz's good looks or his power or his money. We don't know what Boaz looked like. I mean, he probably looked, he probably looked good, but I don't know. Um, but she arranges this meeting based on what she already knows, the trust she has in God, and the plan that's already been revealed to her. Okay? So here's some sexual tension that we're going to look at between the person of Ruth and Boaz. All right? Number one, so there's some, like, um, euphemisms so the, on the next slide here. So the first one is that she goes into the night. Now, we wouldn't really think much of this because we have a lot of lights in our society, and we go out at night in a city, and it's like, it's like daytime almost. But the fact that she goes out into the night is the first kind of racy part of this story. Here's a single, attractive young woman going out perfumed up and done up and ready, uh, ready to be noticed, was most certainly, most certainly attributed to promiscuity. It's kind of like what my parents used to always tell me, and that is nothing really good happens after midnight. So, like, if you want to stay out of trouble, generally, don't be out after midnight. And if you do, you increase your potential of getting into trouble. Um, so it's actually midnight in this story when Boaz wakes up and notices... Uh, Ruth is there. Midnight has a very foreboding um, and kind of uh, literary uh, specificity of like things significant happen at midnight, okay? Um, so it's the second one is that she is going to the threshing floor. Now the threshing floor was an area um, that was downhill of the city um, and it was an area where once you had your grain crushed, the, the men of the, of the different farms would bring all of their grain down and they would thresh the wheat on this big pad 
okay? And they did it at night because the breeze was kind of perfect. Um, and they would, they would kind of, they knew weather much better than we did. They didn't have an app to tell them um, if it was raining or not. They actually, they could see and sense with, the, with nature. They're much more cued into nature. And Naomi knew, oh, it's going to be breezy tonight. He's going to be on the threshing floor. So on a breezy night, they would go out and they would toss their grain and the husks would be taken away. And this was a place of, of meeting. And this was a place of festivity. They just worked really, all these guys just worked really hard. And this was, uh, this was a, a job for men. And they did it at night for the breeze. And so they were celebrating. They were probably drinking. And I don't mean that by Boaz. That's another conversation. We can talk about that later. It's not in today's, uh, in today's sermon that I want to discuss. But they were probably consuming uh, alcohol. There were other festivities and other kind of rituals that would happen. And very often, they would, um, the prostitutes would come and use the threshing floor as a place to earn money. And it was very common for men who were out overnight threshing wheat to have a little fun. And so this was... It's really important to understand this because Ruth is dressing herself in a manner that's suggestive and going to this place that could possibly be promiscuous. The third part, uh, the third euphemism here is that when the author says to lay with, okay, this can be a nicer way to say to sleep with, which is a nicer way to say have sex with. Okay, the next one is that it's kind of the strangest part and what makes this book famous is that the uncovering of Boaz's feet. What does this actually mean, okay? I'm not an expert in this, but I will tell you, uh, after uh, referring to dozens of commentaries and other pastors within Terranova and out, um, it's very widely uh, accepted to know that feet was a euphemism in the ancient Near East for the male genitalia, okay? So this is really interesting because we don't know if she actually uncovered his feet. I actually think she did. But I think the author is using feet to get us to expect, oh, sh oh, oh, that's what she's doing. She's lying down and she's uncovering his feet. Is this what's actually happening? So there's all this tension building up in this meeting. So forgive me for being blunt here, but Ruth, looking and acting like a prostitute, comes to the richest guy in town on the threshing floor where he is laying down, removes his garment, and lays with him. So what do, we all think is, what do we all think is going to happen? Okay? This leaves us thinking, did Naomi send Ruth out just to be taken advantage of? Are we getting a view into a naughty and sinful secret? Is it through sex that actually um, that Ruth finds favor with Boaz? Is it through passion and desire and sex that Ruth finds favor with Boaz? Because this is a very common thing to do in the ancient Near East. If a woman was not married, okay, she didn't have value in society, and so she basically needed to make herself available to somebody so that they would take her in. It's not good. I'm not saying that's good, but that's, it was a common, um, common act in the ancient Near East. So we will find that no, no, Ruth does not find favor from Boaz through a sexual encounter. But we need to acknowledge, again, that this audience that it was being written to and our audience today, we're not unlike each other, okay? The cheering on of promiscuity and the power of sex and the power of desire were real back then as they are now. And you, because you generally don't see in TV and movies a, uh, a glorified sexual encounter between a husband and a wife, right? Because it's not racy, it's not forbidden, it's not promiscuous. 
We are all in this society, and as, we were, and as they were back then, we are all about pleasure and forbidden pleasure and about the pressure release valve and passion, and we all say, yes, that's great. I'm not saying we as in we, but generally as a culture, okay? And this story could be headed in this way, but once again, we see that love is intentional here. Naomi's love for Ruth sends her to Boaz because she sees the plan of God. She trusts him, and she trusts the man Boaz. Ruth, out of love for her family and her apparent growing love for Boaz, subjects herself to this situation. And Ruth here, we'll see, shows some intentionality on her part as well. Listen in verse 8. How are we doing? We doing okay? The worst is over, I think. It's interesting, though, right? This is, I find this fascinating. So verse 8, let's keep going. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Boaz wakes up. And again, I, re- I really believe it makes a lot of sense to me, given the double meaning of feet, I really believe she did uncover his feet so that at midnight he'd be cold and he'd wake up. Makes sense to me. Naomi was smart. Okay, Um, so he wakes up and he sees Ruth, and now Ruth actually goes off script here. Because remember, Naomi never said, Ruth, you are to say this. Naomi said what? Listen to him, he will tell you what to do, right? But uh, But Ruth exercises her own freedom here, in her building desire and passion for Boaz, and she goes off script. She says, I am Ruth. This is a really important phrase. She doesn't say, I'm the Moabite woman who who gleans from your fields. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. So she makes herself on equal playing field with Boaz. She makes herself as one that he could marry and bring into his home. The second beautiful thing she says is, spread your wings over your servant. And the word wings here is very important. Spread your garment means something very different. Um, It was an ancient practice for a man to, because they had long cloaks, they would would wrap a woman in their garment as as a, a way to show, this is now my wife, and that would be a sign that they were about to consummate a marriage. Most of you understand what that means. But he says, she says, wings, spread your wings over me. Saying this brings up a statement that Boaz made, in, if you're looking at the story now, a few months ago, in which he says in verse 12 in chapter 2, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth sees and acknowledges that it is Boaz who God is using to redeem her and her family. Dare I say, she would not have been so bold to speak out had she not believed who God was and not believed who Boaz was and not seen the plan of God laid out before her. See, it's seeing the sovereignty of God and his plan that gave her the freedom and the courage to speak in this moment. So let's move on and see how Boaz reacts. Verse 10. Now, Boaz is, he's a good guy, all right? So, gentlemen, please listen. Listen to this. Boaz is a good guy. He says in verse 10, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Now, stop there. 
this is beautiful, right? Boaz could have said many things, right? The inappropriate things that come to our heads when we see a beautiful woman uh, or when we have power or influence in a way that we could take advantage of somebody. He could have, objected, he could have objectified her, but he blesses her. All the double meanings of this story about what feet might mean or what laying down usually means, they're all diffused in this moment. He calls her daughter. Now, not what we would think as daughter, but this is a way to um, engage her with a sense of closeness, of kinship love. There's care and there's familiarity. So let's keep going. Verse 10, the end of verse 10. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So, he says yes! Yay! I mean, kind of, right? First of all, Ruth proposes, and in a sense, Boaz says, yes! And we see him call Ruth a kind, worthy, noble woman. Now remember Proverbs 31? Daniel reminded us a few weeks ago that Proverbs 31 is, is believed, and I more understand that as we read through Ruth, that Proverbs 31 is talking about Ruth. So Boaz sees this beautiful young woman, and instead of taking advantage of her or giving in to his passionate desire that was filled in that meaning and that the author is building up for us, he actually compliments her godly qualities. What a guy. Again, Boaz is a good guy. And we'll see that his love is growing more and more. And what next shows intentionality on the part of Boaz because apparently it seems to me like he's been thinking about this because his answer right away is he thinking, I think I want to marry this woman, but I know that I'm not actually the one that can by the law. At least I'm not the next one in line. So his duty as a godly man to carry out God's law, he wants to see that expressed in this situation. Now it's kind of a wet blanket, right? There's all this buildup and he's like, but it's not me, okay? However, we can learn a lot about his godly qualities by the way that he cared about doing things intentionally the right way. Now spoiler alert, some of you have read to the end of Ruth, hopefully you have. This is honored, okay, and they live happily ever after, like, legitimately. But here in the story, it brings us to a pause. The audience was really rooting for passion and lust and desire to win the day. But what we actually hear is a humble submission to the plan of God in the ways of God. Maybe, just maybe, the author wants us to see that God's way is best. Maybe that's what he's trying to get us to say or understand. So the final piece of the story leaves us more sure of who Boaz is and his qualities. The end of verse 13, he says, lie down until morning. Now some of you, this is a really important phrase, some of you have been reading A Loving Life by Paul Miller. 
um, it's kind of an accompaniment to this book of Ruth. And um, in it, uh, when Paul Miller speaks about this particular phrase, he says, quote, when Boaz tells Ruth to lie down until morning, he deliberately uses a non-sexual word, which simply means to lodge. Even though the atmosphere is sexually and romantically charged, the narrator makes it clear that Boaz and Ruth are chaste. So Boaz is clear about his intentions. He's going to continue to be Ruth's godly protector, as he already has been seen that way. And Ruth could have returned into the dark night. But by Boaz leaving her there, it protects her from the gossip, from the danger, from the assumptions that people could make of her, being out in the night dressed up and smelling good. He actually protects her from those things. He didn't want her godly character that was well-known around Bethlehem. She didn't want her, he didn't want her godly character to be destroyed, and so, she, uh, so he protects her. Now, if you're uh, a little lost right now, I want to just get us back to probably the most important part of this text. So if you've not been listening, listen to this. This is very important. Boaz commits to Ruth by protecting her, by praying blessings over her, by intentionally communicating to her the next steps in the plan. He tells her what's going to happen. He says, there's another redeemer closer than I. If he won't marry you, I will. And he commits to her. We'll get into this next week. He commits to, to her I will figure this out today. I'm going to get on it. He's intentional. He wants to know. He doesn't commit to her by objectifying her and sexually defying her and essentially using her. He commits to her by protecting her. Now, I know some of you ladies are thinking, wow, I really wish my husband was like Boaz. Or you single ladies thinking, man, I wish I could find a Boaz out there, Okay. But he does exist. My wife says he lives at 1074 Middleline Road. But, no, I'm joking. <laughs> For those of you who know me well, know that, like, I really, I'm not good at being a Boaz, okay? But seriously, guys, and, and this is a little bit of a side, and this is a little fun, but seriously, guys, okay? What I think my wife wants most of the time, what I think she wants is, like, spontaneous, passion-filled lovemaking. I mean, maybe that's just me. I don't know. But next time, be a Boaz, guys. I'm getting emotional because I don't do this very well. But. Bless your wife. Pray over her. Compliment her on her godly qualities. Here's an easy one. Not so easy, but Make a plan and stick to it, guys. Plan dates. Plan meetings. Make her feel safe. And I know ladies in the room just got a little hotter in here for you. I know. Guys, you're welcome. Okay? Thank me later. Follow the advice that we see in the text from Boaz. Okay? So, anyway, I will, I will try as well because I'm not very good at being Boaz. Okay? There's me being honest to you as your pastor and your friend.
But those of you who know me know that already. So, anyway, what have we learned from today's text? Lots of things, hopefully. Love being intentional, okay, doesn't mean that love can't be passionate. It doesn't mean that it's not interesting or that it lacks desire. Love that is intentional looks at God's design and God's plan and orders itself rightly. This meeting between Boaz and Ruth could have ended in promiscuity and maybe could have just still led to marriage and children and a happy life. But the point here is that Naomi trusts Boaz and she trusts God and trusts her place in the story and this plan to set out for her daughter-in-law. And Boaz also trusts the order and design for marriage. He trusts and understands God's plan. And out of his love for Ruth, he wants to go God's way and establish their love and their togetherness with God's way. And love done God's way is always better. And it always ends in glorifying him and not ourselves. So friends, when we submit to God's plan and his way, and we know him and we trust who he is, then we have the freedom to make choices, freedom to act. We have a freedom to be intentional because we know that God is in charge. Our intentional, our intentional actions, when they are submitted to God, will always display the love of God. But you may be asking me, but Matt, I, I trust God and I want to do what he wants me to do, but I'm still confused. Here's three things. Start by looking at the scriptures. If you say, God is not speaking to me, and you haven't opened this, he wants to speak to you. Open this. This is his word. Open the scriptures to know God and to know who he is. And when we ask, would God want me to do X? Read about him and know his character and who he is. And then you will have a better idea of, should I do X? Next, we must pray. We must ask the Holy Spirit to guide our desires and guide our decisions to line up with what God desires and what God loves. And third, be in community. Ruth had a godly older woman, Naomi, in her life. Be immersed in a community where if you were to ask that community, hey, should I do X, Y, or Z? They would probably have a good idea of who you are and also what God's word says, and they can help you make that decision. So you must also know that even the blunders, even the missteps, even the mistakes, even the bad decisions are under the sovereign knowledge and plan of God. They are. Look at scripture. Look at any story of an Old Testament figure. And you'll see that they made a whole lot of mistakes, but God was faithful and God used those mistakes to bring glory to himself. Yes? Amen? Come on, amen. So we can have freedom to make mistakes if we believe and we trust in the good and sovereign plan of God. Um, band's going to come up. And as we go, I'm going to leave you with this tidbit. And now, I like to be organized in preaching, not in my life, as you know, uh, for those of you who know me. I like to be organized in my messages, and this seems maybe a little out of kilter with the rest of the message, but I believe, um, 
I believe in the Holy Spirit and his ability to speak to us and to uh, reveal things to us. So early on, before I really started much study or any writing even, um, just with some quiet time alone, Tuesday morning very early with the Holy Spirit, um, I was meditating on the word and what I was going to preach and how I was going to approach. And the Spirit brought this to me. And so I want to I leave you with this today. And I hope this is helpful. This should be on the screen. And this does go with the fact that Love is intentional and that God has a plan. But look at how Ruth adorns herself with perfume and with dress and with cleanliness. And she does everything she can to put herself in the way of Boaz, lying down at his feet. I think this is, this is a really beautiful picture of how we are to be with God. And so let me ask you, how intentional, and I'm saying this to myself too, I'm not above this, how intentional are we with putting ourselves in the way of God? Now, not being in his way in a negative sense, but extending ourselves to be with him. To work on our own holiness, to cleanse ourselves through repentance, to work on our own holy, holiness and building our desire and our love for God so that we will go to great lengths to seek him, to lay at his feet, and to ask for his blessing. Now, please don't hear me saying that we have to perform for God so that he'll notice us or that if we don't act a certain way, God won't see us. That's not what I'm saying. Love takes work. Love takes intentionality. Love takes forethought, effort. How are we pursuing God like Ruth pursues Boaz? Psalm 105.4 says, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Pastor and author and writer Rob Reamer says this. Daniel reminded me of this quote this week, and I think it's perfect. He says, God is not opposed to effort, but he is opposed to earning. Do we see the difference? We cannot earn God's favor, just as Ruth could not earn the favor of Boaz, but God rewards our efforts. So, friends, put yourself in the way of God and risk what it will take to know him. And trust that he will meet you, and in following him, he will spread his wings of protection over you. Amen? Let's pray. And then Bernadette's going to lead us in a time of communion. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for these truths. Please help us to have the faith to walk forward in the things that you've shown us that are true and good. And if we don't know, Help us to ask. Help us to open your word. Help us to see that our love for others, when done under your protection and in your way, can be better than we could ever, ever hope or desire. So let us passionately follow after you today and know that you will cover us with your blessings as we follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.